Welcome to Made Hole. So today we have a special guest. We have my friend Alex with us who's going to share her testimony today. Hi Alex. Hey. So Alex um, is probably well known by a lot of you. She has a blog and a YouTube channel and she has an Instagram account and you can find Alex at Alex blog. But um, today she's going to share her testimony with you. So here you are. Hope you enjoy. So if we take it back to the beginning, so I was born in 1986 um, and to my mum and my dad who were married um, and they had been married I think for about a year when I was born. Um, they separated 18 months later um, and it turned out, which is something that I found out later on in life, um, that my dad had an affair. Um, shortly after they separated, um, my dad was also sent to prison so um, we lived in a home um, and it was like a really nice home my mum was a teacher my dad was a lawyer um, and he basically got arrested for embezzling client money um, and then he went to prison I think I was around five years old um, so as a result of that we lost our house um and because he basically implicated the finances and our house in all of that so we were homeless for about a year just me and my mum um and then about a year later my mum was able to um, buy her own house and get everything set up again so basically she was starting from scratch again um, and we started again um i think my mum's mental health definitely deteriorated from that point um she struggled to cope and what she basically did was emotionally she shut down so she was able to provide food she was able to provide clothes she was able to provide a roof over my head but anything emotionally she was unable to do um and i think this first probably affected me when i was about six years old and my uh, next door neighbor began to um expose himself to me is probably the best way to say it um, and he would um, uh, do inappropriate things in front of me. Um, and I remember telling my mom and she got really angry as if to say like, why are you telling me? And this isn't true, you must be lying. Um, so as a result, the man was able to continue doing that, I'd say for about another two years. Um, and later it turned out that my mum, it's not that she didn't believe me, but she didn't have the mental capacity to cope. So that's just one of the things I guess that I experienced growing up is that my mum just didn't have the mental capacity to cope with anything that was brought to her. She could do the day to day, but anything else she couldn't do. And she was dealing with her own trauma and her own issues um, from her childhood. Um, I'd say she got into a relationship when I was about seven and that relationship caused a lot of trauma for me. Um, there was a lot of things that I was exposed to, that I saw, that I heard, a lot of things that I shouldn't have done and that created a lot of trauma. Um, and to deal with that, I then really focused on 
getting or being in the spotlight. I really wanted attention. So I would do things to get attention um, just to be seen because it felt like I wasn't being seen. Um, and then at the age of 11, the trauma was so bad from the things I was experiencing between my mum and her boyfriend um, that I tried to take my own life. Um, I took some pills, I didn't succeed, obviously. Um, and thankfully the pills weren't actually anything dangerous. Um, it was just vitamins, um, but I didn't know that. So I just took a whole bottle, swallowed the whole bottle, but didn't really know what I'd taken. Um, and then I tried that I had to go into hospital. Um, when I was in hospital, they basically gave me coal to drink out of a syringe. So then that could basically dissolve the tablets that were in my stomach. And at that point, there were so many people who were asking me and saying, why are you doing this? And I, I didn't know, because what I didn't know at that point was that I was actually going through a lot of abuse at home. What I thought was normal was actually abuse and that wasn't something that I realised until I was much later on in life. Um, still at this point, I didn't have any contact with my dad. Um, I just knew that he'd gone to prison and I didn't really know anything else. Um, and then I think maybe when I was about 18, my mum met somebody else and um, she started to date somebody and again, he just, it wasn't the right person for her. So um, there was a lot of uh, verbal abuse, a lot of mental abuse, a lot of emotional abuse. Um, I went off to university and that was a way for me to escape a lot of it. Um, but after university, I had to face it and basically had to deal with it and deal with him. Um, and then I think I was around 21. And by this point I was, to deal with the pain um, of loss, of loneliness, of rejection, of abandonment. I was smoking a lot of weed. Um, I say I was like, oh, I don't know, I used to smoke 20 pounds a day, like 20 pounds in weight. So I used to smoke around five to six spliffs a day. And that was just very normal for me. And it was crazy because I was studying, I was doing a law degree, but then I was smoking weed on the side um and just yeah and that was the way that i was able to cope i was smoking like during law school i smoked all the time i was just constantly high if i didn't have weed then i just i was just a mess like i needed to have it i also lost a lot of weight because i was smoking so much you get to a point where the munchies don't mean anything to you anymore um and you're smoking to basically survive and I, um, I stopped eating a lot, so I wouldn't cook meals. And every time I would eat a meal, I would hear this voice in my head that basically said that you're too ugly to eat. Like nobody cares about you. Why do you even need to eat food? So I would usually hear that voice halfway through my dinner and then throw the rest of it up because I just thought there's no point in eating if I don't deserve to eat. Um, so I lost quite a lot of weight. I went down to maybe I don't know. I'm usually like a, so I'd say, but maybe like a size 12 or 14. And I went down to like a size eight, which was very like not right for my height. Um, and I think at that point I realized there was a problem. I had my friends at law school who were saying, you need to see someone, you need to get help. We think you've got a drug problem. 
So um, I went to uh, the doctors and I told the doctor everything and they referred me for to rehab. So I started attending a day rehab center um, in between my lectures at law school, which is very ironic. Um, and I started seeing someone and started talking about these drug problems that I had, but I couldn't see it through. I didn't, to be honest, I, I think I was quite snobby because I came from, you know, like even though my dad was in prison before that, he was a lawyer, my mum was a teacher. I came from quite a middle-class background. So why was I sitting here in this ghetto rehab center? So I was very snobby and I was like, no, this isn't for me. Like this, I don't have this problem. Um, and then, um, I, so I basically just lied to, to the person who was helping me and basically just said to her, you know, like, I don't really need help, I'm fine, I can cope with this. In the meantime, things were going from bad to worse with my mum and she had now married this person um, who I didn't get on with. And added to that, um, my stepdad at the time, well, now he was my stepdad, he was also diagnosed with cancer. He was diagnosed with leukaemia. So um, there was that to deal with as well um, and I had quite a lot of up and down emotions in regards to that now so this point I was 21 and my dad got back in contact with me I was um, in Spain for my 21st birthday and I got a really long text message and I was like who's this and it was like a sick and these are the back in the day when you could <laughs> when you would have pages of texts on your phone so it's not like like a smartphone now and it was like this long story explaining absence. And then I realized it was my dad. And he said, if you're ready, just give me a call. So I psyched myself up and gave him a call a week later. And we had a long chat and he invited me out for dinner. And it was weird because I hadn't seen him since I was five. So what's that like 16 years that I hadn't seen him. So we went out for dinner and it was really weird because it was like, wow, this is my dad. And it felt even weird to say the word dad. It took me ages to be able to say dad because it just felt like such a foreign word. So I, I questioned him and I, I asked him his story and he, he'd, gotten, he'd gotten out of prison when I was nine. So I asked him, why didn't he contact me? And he said he thought my life was better that way, like without him being involved. Um, so I basically, I asked him a load of other questions and then it came down to it and I thought, right, I can either be angry with you or I can just accept that you left and that, and now let's just move on, but you're here now. So I decided to do that. So we started to build a relationship. We would have dinners, lunches, brunches. And it was just crazy because my dad had been living this whole other life. He was like super wealthy. He lived in like one of the wealthiest parts of London. He drove, he had like loads of sports cars, an amazing apartment. It was just crazy knowing that the struggles that I'd had growing up and this man had just been living his best life. Um, so we became really good friends. That was really difficult for my mum. She had a lot of resentment, which is completely understandable considering that she had looked after me by herself for this entire time. Um, shortly after um, I began to admit and realize that actually I did have a drug problem because those problems weren't going away. And I spoke to my mum about it and I told her I had a problem and she basically just stared at me. And I remember this, I was sat in her office at work and I said, mum, I've got a, a problem. And she was like, well, basically that's your problem and that's not something that I'm prepared to accept or deal with. So I just felt very rejected, very lonely. I didn't really know my dad, so I didn't feel like I could talk to him about it. So I just started drinking. Every weekend I was going out drinking and getting drunk. 
and I'd get so drunk to the point that I wasn't able to sometimes like find my way home. I wasn't able to walk in a straight line. A lot of the time I began to suffer from something called vertigo, which basically just took away all of my orientation. Um, and then I don't really remember how this happened, but I was really low, really lonely, really depressed. And then I started my first job in the city. So by this time I'd graduated law school and I'd got my first job working in one of like the big brokerage firms in the city. And I was crying all the time. Like I was shut, I was just after work, I'd be crying, lunch times I'd be crying. And they were like, look, we've got a support system. Like we've got a, a private counseling service. And is that something that would be of interest to you? Do you want to get counseling? And I was like, yeah, like, I think maybe I need this. I need to go to see a therapist. So I booked in the appointment and I went to see a therapist in her home and I shared everything with her. Everything from all the things I'd experienced going up, the absences from my parents and the neglect and the things of my dad and my stepdad and all the things that were going on. So, and I just remember feeling like a huge release. And then the next week I went back for my second session and the therapist said, okay, so last week we spoke about your abuse. And I was like, what? I was like, what abuse? And she was like, yeah, the abuse that you went through. And I was like, I haven't been abused. And she kind of looked at me as if to say, uh oh, <laughs> like she don't know. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I haven't been abused. Like, you must be confusing me with one of your other patients. And she was like, no, everything you've described is abuse. And I was like, okay. So I just remember sitting there thinking, what? And she said, your mum abused you, like verbally, emotionally, mentally. And there was even sexual abuse because of the things that I was exposed to between my mum and her boyfriend. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, I couldn't believe it. So anyway, I left the therapist's office shocked and in a daze. And I remember just walking home and I just cried my eyes out thinking my whole life has been a lie. Like the one person who was supposed to love me and protect me and make sure that nothing happened to me was actually abusing me this entire time. So I still kind of didn't believe the therapist, but anyway, so I was walking home and then I heard this voice and this voice said, you need to thank God for showing you the truth. And I was like, okay. And at that, <laughs> like at that point, I didn't have any form of like knowledge of God or really relationship with him. Like God had never been introduced to my life. I mean, I'd gone to church with my grandma in Jamaica when I was like 10, but that was about it. And so I was like, okay. And it said, yeah. And I said, okay, so how do I thank God? And it said, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I was like, well, how do I do that? So I Googled it. And I Googled, how did you give your life to Jesus? And it came up with the sinner's prayer. So there and then, I think by this point I was at home and I was in my bed. I was definitely as high as a kite. And I gave my life to Jesus right there and then. And um, I don't remember how I felt, but I definitely knew that something had changed. But I just, I just, yeah, I just knew that something had changed. And then following from then, I, um, I started reading up about abuse. And it was the scariest thing. And I just saw my life written in these psychology books and pages and I could see every physical, all of it. And I just could pinpoint all of it back to my life. And I was just, I just didn't know what to do. Um, and then, so shortly after I met a Christian girl at my work 
and she recommended an, an author called Joyce Meyer and she recommended a book and I can't remember the name of the book I think it's like beauty or ashes beauty for ashes I think is what it was called and Joyce Meyer basically spoke about her abuse and she had been sexually abused by her father and she had been abused mentally emotionally so many things had happened to her growing up but she was now this woman of God who believed in the Bible believed that Jesus Christ rose on the third day and, and, and she now had a future and a hope and I remember these words there was a story in the Bible about this guy this uh, I think it was a leper or he couldn't get down everyone was walking to their healing but he couldn't get up and go to his healing and Jesus said rise up your mat and walk and in that book God spoke to me and he said if you want to get healed you need to get up you can't just sit here you need to get up and you need to start walking towards your healing and the first thing you need to do is stop feeling sorry for yourself and I remember thinking like huh like <laughs> is this some kind of joke <laughs> like I have been through all of these things I have been abused by my own mum and neglected and abandoned by my own dad and you know emotionally abused by my my stepdad and now you're telling me to stop feeling sorry for myself like i have every right to feel sorry for myself and jesus was like i can't work with self-pity so you you need to get up and you need to walk and you need to come towards me and i will help you you don't have to do any of this on your own i will help you so i agreed i submitted and i surrendered um, and then he just began the journey and basically what he showed me was it was like a black tunnel and this black tunnel kind of represented like the things that I was going to have to go through and in the tunnel there were different hurdles and the hurdles were all illuminated and they had different words on them one said drugs one said alcohol one said abuse one said trauma and he said you know I'm going to take you over each and every one of these hurdles and I'm going to bring you out the other side and he was like and that's the journey that I'm going to take you on so the first one that he took me on was unforgiveness to be honest because and these times I was still smoking weed and I was still drinking and I was still going to the club but the first thing that he spoke to me about was unforgiveness and he said you need to forgive your parents for every single thing that they've done to you so he made me write a list of all the things that my mum did all the all the bad things she did on one side and all the good things that she did on one side and then I took her out for lunch and I had to break it down to her and tell her the things that had happened so that was the first thing the second thing that he dealt with was um the drugs and the alcohol so i had this guy that i used to get my weed from like he was my weed guy and i would always um like go up chill with him and it was really really difficult because i enjoyed chilling with him it was like quite a difficult like the thing with smoking weed is that it's, it's very sociable and you have friends who smoke it so you're around it constantly so i really had to stop like going to see this guy I had to stop seeing certain friends um, and it was just really really hard but God spoke to him was like you need to stop this now if you take the first step I'll help you with the rest um, so I, I think I start I think my cold turkey journey started in August August 2010 and my family were like you can't do this without like rehab you need rehab and I said no I'm gonna do this with Jesus and I, at that time I was, so I stopped smoking, but then I was still drinking and I was using the drinking as a substitute for the withdrawal symptoms from the weed. And then um, it got so bad that the, the withdrawal symptoms from the weed, I was sweating, I was shaking, I was screaming into my pillow. 
And the only way to describe it was like, imagine a little man and his head's on fire and this man was running up and down my arm. That's all I used to feel, just this man running up and down my arm and my arms were on fire. I used to scratch them at night, I used to itch them, I used to lie there screaming. But all the time Jesus was like, I'm gonna get you through this, I'm gonna get you through this. And I remember one day it got so bad and I was like, enough, like I need to do something because this isn't right, I need to call an ambulance. I'm going to the shop, I'm gonna get some cider and I'll do with this after. But as I was leaving the house, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, give me a try, just give me a try. So I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to worship. And I was like, is this some kind of joke? Like, I've got withdrawal symptoms, I'm sweating, I'm shaking and you want me to sing? Like, it's really not the time. Um, but then I put on some, and the one praise and worship song that I could find amongst the Drake and the J. Cole, and and the Movado and the everything else. And then I put it on and I just started singing. I just collapsed on my knees in my room and I just started singing and praising. And I, I sat in that position for about 40 minutes and everything just lifted. And by the end of the 40 minutes, I was chatting to my friends and eating pizza downstairs. Um, and, and every time I then got withdrawal symptoms, I used praise and worship to get through. And by the November, so this started in the August and by the November, I was completely delivered. I had no more withdrawal symptoms. I didn't smoke weed anymore. I didn't smoke, I didn't smoke cigarettes. I didn't drink alcohol. I did none of it. It was all gone and lifted. Um, God delivered me. Um, and then, yeah, I guess my walk could start sober. Being sober was a whole new world. It was like you felt everything. You couldn't numb the pain anymore. You had to deal with everything all the time. There wasn't any hiding, there wasn't any fronting. It was, this is life and this is the reality of life. And it was so weird even being around my friends, being sober. It was like, wow, like this is new. Um, and I got used to it over time. Um, at that time, I wasn't at a church. Um, I, I had quite a bit of a traumatic experience with church when I was younger. So church was a little bit scary for me. Um, so I wasn't at a church, but during that time, God really met with me. I got filled with the Holy Spirit whilst praying in my bedroom. I started speaking in tongues at Liverpool Street Station, just randomly looking for a train time. And then all of a sudden I was speaking in tongues. Um, and God just did, he met me where I was at and he continued to meet me where I was at. Um, the relationship with my parents didn't necessarily get much better overnight, but the forgiveness really helped. I remember one night actually just sitting in my room and just really releasing everything that my parents did. And then that night um, I had a dream and Jesus showed up in my dream and he unlocked the shackles around my feet and my hands. And he basically showed me that unforgiveness keeps you bound. Like it stops you from getting to where you need to go. So he was able to release those shackles because I was to release, able to release my parents onto him. Um, so I stayed at home, I lived at home with my mum and my stepdad for about three years, just witnessing to them and just showing them the love of God and continuing to get healed, continuing to get better in my mind. Um, and then three years later, the relationship between my mum and my stepdad got really, really bad and they separated. Um, and a year after that, out of revenge, um, my stepdad committed suicide um, in our home because he was really angry at my mom and he was angry at the way that the separation had happened. So to get his own back, he basically committed suicide in our house, like outside my bedroom. Um, and 
to be honest, like that whole situation just completely shocked me and threw me because I just thought like, I'm a Christian, like I serve God, like I've been serving God for a good few years now. I'm on my healing journey. Why on earth would I have to go through something like this? Um, and I just couldn't understand. But God really got me through that time. And the main thing that got me through that time was prayer and also church. One of the things that I love about church is the consistency of church and the fact that every week the word of God is being preached. Every day there's prayer. There were things that were consistent that meant that even though I was going through crazy trauma, my church was still the same church. My pastor was still the same pastor and I needed to see him. Every week I needed to see him. I needed to see him in prayer. I needed to see him on the pulpit and all of those things really helped to get me through that time. Um, so I've been on my journey now for 11 years. It was 11 years in March, 2021. Um, and you know, a lot has happened. But one of the things that I guess stands out to me the most is my mind is being healed from self-harm. So that was something that stopped in 2014. Um, God really spoke to me and, and really convicted me that because his blood was shed on that cross, I no longer need to harm myself. So that stopped in 2014. Um, and I guess just my perspective and outlook on life, like believing that I have a future. And there has still been so many things that have happened in terms of the relationship with my parents. My mum, unfortunately, is still the same mum. She still puts herself first. Um, she's still quite selfish. She still doesn't really understand how to look after a child or to have a child. Um, and my dad, um, he was present for a while, but he got he lost interest um, seven or eight years into our relationship and decided that he no longer wanted to have a relationship with me. So I no longer see him, I no longer hear from him. Um, and obviously like all of these things have been difficult, but what has remained is Jesus. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, you become a Christian or people preach the gospel to you and, and, you, and you can think that, yeah, everything's gonna be well afterwards or everything's gonna be daffodils and roses and blah, 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 but it's not. And if life still happens. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. And I think that was a really big thing for me is realizing that just because I'm saved, it doesn't mean that I'm gonna get everything I want because God isn't a genie. Um, but also life still goes on and people are still people and hurting people hurt people. Um, so I think, to be honest, that's been one of the biggest things I've had to cope with is even though I'm a Christian and I have a home, heaven is my home. And if I was to die, I know that I'd go to heaven. This life is still hard. I still have pain. I still have difficulties. I still have turmoil and I still have trauma to an extent. But God is with me as I work through every single one of those things. And to be honest, a lot of the things I've been through probably should have killed me. They probably should have just destroyed me when I think about the things that I've been through from, you know, my stepdad's suicide to having to realize and accept that my own mother abused me, that my dad doesn't want anything to do with me. And none of this has been through any fault of my own. I haven't done any of these things. I haven't caused any of these things. It's not because I've lived a sinful life that these things are happening to me. They just happened. Um, and it's been difficult to get to grips with that, but having God by my side has helped so much and he's given me a new perspective and a future and a hope. So 
even though like I said everything isn't rosy I still have a lot of pain I've just come out of a season of depression and this is being very real um God is still God and you know even though these weapons come and they form they don't prosper um and I will always be safe with God so every day I have to make a choice that I'm going to choose faith every day I have to say that I'm going to choose faith over fear I I basically just it's almost like I have to gear myself up um just yeah it's like I have to gear myself up just to get through because I know that the lies of the enemy and different things that come my way and try to attack me I speak certain words over my mind I speak certain things over my body and another thing is you know a lot of us are dealing with generational curses a lot of us are dealing with the sins of our forefathers and we don't even realize so there are certain things that I have to break I have to have certain boundaries with my family there are certain things that I can't do with my mom or I can't speak to her about or I can't let her in because I have to create a boundary because it's unsafe um and it, it's hard to be honest it's hard having to I don't want to say be calculated but I have to be very discerning with how I live my life I have to I can't just have any type of friends I can't just have any type of relationships I can't just everything I have to really think it out because I have to protect my peace and my mental health and I have to protect the work that God is doing um and it is difficult and some days I struggle more than others but what gets me through is prayer and reading the word of God like every night before I go to sleep I study and I read the bible um I pray I meditate on the words that God has spoken I journal I I really have to be intentional about my faith and about my pursuit of Christ and um, because if I'm not then all of these other things can come into my mind again I could be reminded of the sexual abuse I could be reminded of the sexual assault I could be reminded of the neglect of the abandonment of the suicide of all the things that have happened I could be reminded of those things on a day-to-day -day basis so I therefore have to make a conscious effort to think about what I'm thinking about um, and whether even that even just in terms of how I live my life in terms of watching certain things going to certain places I just really have to protect my peace because of the things that have happened and I'm grateful that I serve a living God who is able to help me through all of those things. I'm grateful that I'm not praying to some statue or I'm not doing some kind of religious ritual. Like I can say that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can say that Jesus Christ has met me in the mess and that he has redeemed me. Um, and no matter what I go through and no matter where I go, he continues to meet me. And he has such an amazing plan for my life. He has an amazing future. And these are the things that I speak over my life every single day. These are the things that I remind myself that God is a good God and he is going to be there for me this entire time. I do not have to do this on my own. Amen. 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 And amen. Like there's so much things that, that stood out to me. So much things that I can say. I think, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me at the end was the fact that for me, being saved, just like you're saved, where would I be without him? There are so many people that have gone through things that you have gone through and don't have Jesus. They yeah. don't have the ability 
to make a conscious, conscious decision to read their word and to understand that the lies of the enemy is yeah. going to come. Because actually, they don't know that they're lies of the enemy. So there's people that are out there that you are listening to this right now and you are suffering. You are suffering by um, the devil telling you you shouldn't eat. The devil telling you you're not good enough. The devil telling you uh, you, don't, you don't deserve any better. Stay with the, the, the man you're with or the woman you're with that's taking you for an idiot because actually you're not worth anything. And they are the lies of the enemy. And one thing that I always say is that people always um, say they believe in God, they believe in God, but they're not serving him. But if you believe in God, then you have to believe in the devil. There is, you can't have one without the other. If you, if you know there's good, there ha- what is going on? If there, if, there, if there is good, then there Sorry, has to be... I'm having trouble with the connection. Please try again in a moment. If there has to be good, I'm, I'm not even going to... The devil, as you can hear in the background, the devil is trying because I am preaching right now. If there has to be good, there has to be evil. So for you to live a good life and say, yeah, I'm a good person, there has to be a devil, but the devil is making you is shortchanging you by telling you that just by acknowledging God and believing that there's some higher power somewhere that you're going to be all right, that you will get to heaven because you haven't raped nobody, you ain't murdered nobody, that you're going to be all right. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. That you are not good enough is a lie from the pit of hell. That you are not enough is a lie from the pit of hell. God is real and God wants to. God wants you to know him personally the way he knows you. He is the creator of heaven and earth. Every single thing you see in this world, he, he created. Every flower, every star, every thunderstorm. The other day there was some tornado embarking. God allowed that to happen. Everything that's happening, yeah, last week, um, Friday happened. There was a tornado embarking. And God, God is the one who orchestrates everything for a reason, for a season. And I really want people to know that you have to understand that you can be set free. You can be set free from the lies of the enemy. You can be set free from, from bad relationships. You can be set free. Alex spoke about losing everything, having a nice home, nice car, nice family, and losing it in a heartbeat. One dodgy transaction from her dad and that was it it was all gone nothing to do with her own self everything to do with parents for me if you've heard my testimony if you haven't you can go back to listen to it very similar in terms of just the emotional neglect just not being present just giving you the basic food and clothes on the outside everyone thinking everything's okay and hungry dory and in your house I didn't even know who my mum was really. I, I still haven't got that kind of relationship with her. Mental health issues, having to start all over again. When you bring something to your parents, whether that be, oh mum, it wasn't me that stole a sweet from the shop. It was my brethren, whatever her name was. And actually your mum saying, you're a liar, it was you. Just people not believing you. That can be the most painful and hurtful thing for somebody, just to not be believed. If you think that actually you don't fit in somewhere and you feel like you have to be somebody else, you have to seek attention from somewhere because you feel like you're not enough, you are enough and God has created you perfectly. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make mistakes and you are here and you are living and you are breathing so you're not a mistake. You just need Jesus to direct you the way he's directed Alex, the way he's directed me and every single testimony that you hear on my podcast, you will hear how Jesus has directed us and guided us. Even if you've had therapy, one thing I, I, I think me and Alex spoke about it before is when you have therapy, 
it's fair enough to have therapy and for them to bring out all your darkest secrets. But then what do you do with those secrets when they've been revealed? Yeah. I remember me and Alex speaking yeah. about it before. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. what do you do with it? And there's so many people that seek therapy and seeking therapy is fine. I think that's amazing. But then when they... when you, you have to have something something there to help you clear up the mess. Literally. And that was me. like after Because I had therapy and after every session, it was like an oil spill. And I'm like, well, who's going to clean this up? And I would have to bring everything in prayer and surrender it to God and ask him for his word to speak over the mess so I could make sense of it and give it to him. Because if I was just sat with that without him, where would I take that? And that's why some people go to therapy and they're walking around angry. It causes a lot of discord and division in families because people don't know where to take it. If I, I needed Christ to help me take that mess somewhere and, and that's what got me through therapy. And look at that. Do you see how God's timing is also perfect in her life? Because she had therapy before and she was able to blag that because God knew that she wasn't able to deal with the mess that had been made in her life before then. Once she had built that relationship, got that consistency, then God allowed her to go to therapy. It could have, it could have ended up being the same therapist. But just the fact that she didn't have anywhere to put it before, God waited for the timing for her to have somewhere, which is him, to lay her burden down to and to process it properly and know how to acknowledge it and to work through it and to get on with her daily life i really really recommend that you follow alex on alex's blog on her instagram on her youtube channel nothing that i put on this is a lie nothing is fancied up we're just here sharing our testimonies just to let you know that you can be set free whatever it is it might not be any of these issues anything at all that you are struggling with god can help you one scripture that spoke to me um, when Alex was talking was when your mother and father forsake you, God will never forsake you. You have friends, you have families, you think they were your diarted day ones and they will let you down. But the only thing that is reliable, two things are certain, and that's Jesus' love for you that he died on the cross and the other one is death. Apart from them two things, I don't even know what else is certain. The only thing that is certain is that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He'll be there for you, he'll take you through. He might not take you through the way you think you wanna go through, yeah. but it'll take you through. Because everyone says, oh, you're a Christian, you're just looking for a way out, you wanna have something to believe in so that you can live your life. Actually, walking God's walk is hard. To turn away from the things of this world and to be different and to stand out and to stand up for what you know is righteous, is no easy joke. So I actually dare you to try Jesus. I'm sure it says it in the Bible or something like, Jesus says something like, try me, or God says something like, try me. Oh, actually, I'll tell you what it is. It's Malachi 3.10 that says, if you if you bring your tithe to the storehouses, try me and see if I want to open up the windows for heaven. God ain't no joke, you know. God is a bad man just like me. Yo, <laughs> don't play with God. God's saying, try me. I guarantee you, try, and there's, there's a song out in it, try Jesus. Like, try Jesus. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. He will meet you. He might not meet you the way you expect or the way you want. He might not meet you the way he met me. He might not meet you the way he met Alex. But he will meet you according to what you need, where you are. I pray that just like Alex, you can Google the sinner's prayer. I'm going to say one with you now. So if you want to say the sinner's prayer and you want to try Jesus, then you can say the sinner's prayer, which is something simple. Like, Lord Jesus, um, I know I am a sinner. I know I have sinned against you. I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me and you rose on the third day. And I ask that you take over from now to lead me in righteousness. In Jesus name. Something simple. You might want to Google a different one if you want to, but something simple. Jesus is waiting for you. He's waiting to take the burdens away from you. It takes time. It's a process, but he is waiting for you. 
And thank you for listening to this episode of Made Whole. And join us again next time. Thank you. God bless. I didn't know, didn't know. Through his holes, through his holes. I can be made whole. I